What's up, you guys? We're back. Episode 29 of the Sauce Lab podcast is here, and I've got a big one for you guys today. I've got a mix of NFL and NBA. Both seasons are so much fun. I love watching NBA, love watching NFL. This week was actually a really, really good one in the NFL. I mean, I know that I say that every week, but I feel like every single time that I just think, oh, something's going to happen, it flips the script on me and proves me wrong, which I just love so much. It's really any given Sunday. And with the NBA, it seems like that's happening a lot more too. Usually with an 82-game season, there's a lot more like, okay, you know that the Lakers are going to beat the Pistons. You know that the Jazz are going to beat the Spurs. But like in this day and age, that stuff's not happening. And for some reason, a lot of these superstar teams are not looking spectacular. But I'm going to start it off like I do every single week by talking about this week in the NFL, not the NBA. And then I'm going to do in the second half my 20 hot takes for the NBA season, which I wrote before the season. Just want to preface that. I'll, I'll get into that later. So I'll go uh, the past week rundown. Week 8 just concluded. Week 9 starts on Thursday. Best game of the week, in my opinion, was Packers-Cardinals on Thursday night football. A very, very close one where the Packers actually edged it out against the would-be undefeated Cardinals, but now they are not undefeated. They just took their first loss of the season to Aaron Rodgers and the very depleted Packers. Very, very good game. Pretty slow, in my opinion. I think what it really just came down to was two really bad first half plays. One being the fumble that gave the Green Bay Packers the ball in the red zone, and the other one Actually, no, one's an offensive drive fumble, one was a punt return fumble, so both just put them in a very bad position, which gave them seven to Randall Cobb and three on a field goal, which they ended up winning by three, so I think that if the Cardinals just cleaned up their mistakes, they were definitely still in that game, and it's not reason enough for me to be super worried about the Cardinals, but I do have to just say, AJ Green, what the fuck were you doing? I know that it was clearly a miscommunication, but even so, I still feel like you have to go to the ball, you look... You you don't stand like you literally just lost your child in a department store. You <laughs> look for the ball. You look for the corner. You look for where they're going. And it looked like AJ Green was in another world with 11 seconds left. Cardinals in the red zone to score a touchdown to win the game. And they could not capitalize, which disappointment, obviously, because in my personal opinion, I would rather see the Cardinals just keep going, just keep pedaling. But Kyler Murray still on a very good path, even though he probably had the worst game of his season so far, in my opinion. Uh, Cardinals, I am not putting them any lower. Packers, still a real, real Super Bowl contender, now winning every single game straight since their horrific week one loss. Next, I've got a combined award, and that is for the Offensive Player and Fantasy Player of the Week. And as a fan of this team, I just do not know what else to say, but wow. Wow is the only thing that I can say about that Jets victory over the Cincinnati Bengals playing probably one of the best offensive Jets games that I've ever seen in my entire life as a Jets fan. I really started to become a super fan, I'd say 2014, 2015, and the only winning season that we've had to show for ourselves was the Ryan Fitzpatrick year, and even so, that was a lot credited to our defense. The Jets have not had a 400-yard passing player since the year 2000. It has been 21 years since we have had a quarterback go for 400 yards. And who was it? Was it Zach Wilson, our big savior? No. Was it Sam Darnold, our old big savior? No. It was Mike motherfucking White. Mike White, a guy who I was not even dead set on. I personally, after the Jets drafted James Morgan last year in the fourth round, I was like, just get rid of Mike White. We could do veteran James Morgan, uh, Zach Wilson, 
and we could be fine with that. But instead, Mike White comes in his first career start and throws her 400 yards and three touchdowns, two bad interceptions. But other than that, probably one of the most prolific passing games that I've seen as a Jets fan in my entire life. And the co-award goes to Michael Carter, who had 15 touches or 15 rushes for 77 yards and a touchdown, as well as nine receptions for 95 yards, leading the team in both rushing yards and receiving yards. Wow. This is so different, especially my headline last week was the Jets are looking like the Adam Gase era, and then the next week they come out and beat the supposed best team in the AFC, or record-wise was the best team in the AFC, held Jamar Chase to his worst game, I think, of his entire career it has to be now at this point. Really, uh, just stellar performance. All around, the defense played really, really well. Quinn and Williams had an amazing fourth down stop. Elijah Moore had a career game. Elijah Vera Tucker had a career game. Ryan Griffin hauled in a touchdown. Just the whole team was clicking. Oh, Ty Johnson. How can I forget about Ty Johnson? He had a fantastic game as well. And the receiving game out of the backfield was looking great. Like, I, I just don't know even where to go with this because it was so out of the blue. I really thought that this would be a bye week part two and just another schlopping like we got last week against the Patriots. I was so sure that this would be like a 30-point loss. I, something right before the game was telling me, maybe I should just look at Jets spread. Maybe we'll get that. And I was like, no, you know what? Why am I betting for my favorite team when I know that they'll probably just lose by 30? And I was dead wrong. So I am very glad to say that Mike White and Michael Carter are the offensive and fantasy players of the entire NFL this week. My defensive player of the week, I've got a four-way award to four guys on one team who all really stepped up in the absence of a couple players. And that was the Broncos' big four this week. This this team's linebackers are just kapooey. Bradley Chubb out, Von Miller out, Josie Jewell out, AJ Johnson out. So many big name guys in the linebacking core were out. Von Miller I'll actually get to later for another reason, which you guys probably know. Four guys really took huge steps up and played some career games in their absence. One being, uh, so I'll give you the four stat lines and I'll just say what concluded in that game. Malik Reed, three tackles, two, two sacks and a forced fumble. Justin Simmons, seven tackles, two picks and two pass defenses. Draymond Jones, three tackles, two sacks, a tackle for loss and a block kick. And Shelby Harris, five tackles, one sack, and a block kick as well. Unreal game from all four of them. I think that it was probably a career game for all four. Justin Simmons, even though he was one of the best safeties last year, two interceptions and a very crucial bat down on fourth down made it so that it's one of probably his best games of his career. Shelby Harris, a guy that I've always thought is very underrated on the Broncos defensive line, had a sack and a really serious block kick. Chris Blewett really blew it which I thought was very funny that the name was Blewett and he actually had two block kicks, or two kicks blocked. But yeah, Shelby Harris, great game. And then Malik Reed coming out with two sacks and a forced fumble. Really, really good showing for him. And I think that if the linebackers continue to be out, one of them, I'll actually just say it right now, Von Miller was just recently traded to the LA Rams for a second and a third, really solidifying the fact that the Rams do not like to spend any picks whatsoever in the draft and they just like to trade for their players, which is 
kind of hilarious in my opinion. But now Von Miller will be out, and I think that this showing by those four guys shows at least that the Broncos can continue to be a very solid defensive unit for the time being. I mean, I know that the Washington football team's offense, which is who they played against, is not that great of a unit this year, but I still think that they'll be able to get it done week in, week out. Hopefully this is something to come, at least for like Malik Reed, a guy that can really break out and start to show real production for the rest of the season. Biggest injury of the week, I've got three ginormous ones. Three ginormous ones. One is Derrick Henry likely will be out for the year. A guy that was even pushing to be MVP, pushing to have a Hall of Fame type career if he continues on this monstrous run. A guy that is just so pivotal to the Tennessee Titans team as a whole. Uh, Derrick Henry seems like he could be out. I think NFL Instagram had posted that it was 6-10 to 10 weeks, but I've heard other reports that it could be season-ending. Uh, if he can do 6-10 to 10 and then he comes back in time for the playoffs and they actually have a push, then that would be insane. But for now, it seems like Derrick Henry will be out for an extended period of time. Calvin Ridley, this one's a little bit weird because it's personal reasons. Obviously, I'm a big fan of mental health and do whatever is necessary. But we don't really know his reasoning for why he's out. But he said that he's going to take a long period of time away from football to focus on himself, which is obviously great for himself, but not too great for owners of him in fantasy or the Atlanta Falcons at all. I think that this does give a little uptick to Kyle Pitts and allows him to be better. Obviously, a huge uptick to Russell Gage, but a downtick to the Atlanta Falcons as a whole. I think that that gets rid of any chances that they have of getting these weird offensive great games from Matt Ryan. It'll probably be him out the door at the end of this year, too. And then the last injury is Jameis Winston, famous Jameis Jabu is out for the year. Hilariously, he had a video of him dancing with the crutches, which from a fan's perspective, who's just like watching and having fun, it is hilarious in my opinion, and it made probably one of the best NFL memes of the entire year. Yet on the flip side, from an analytical standpoint, you don't want your starting quarterback who you just announced is out for the year to be doing something like that. It really does not show well on the team, on the locker room around Jameis as a whole. I think that Taysom will be a very, very good option going forward. And just based on the fact that they were able to get that win with Trevor Simeon over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers shows that their roster is definitely still good enough to continue to go on and make the playoffs. But it's obviously going to be a downgrade. No question about it. Jameis was playing a very, very solid game this season. And it's disappointing to hear that he's now going to be out and they're not going to be able to go on this spectacular run with Jameis. Team that I'm starting to buy... Hate to say it, as a Jets fan, New England Patriots are on the right path. I think that they could easily lock in three of the next four. They're already at a 500 record, and they're looking really, really good. They're looking like they're a team that is coming for you quick. Uh, that LA Chargers win was the only win that I really needed to see where they beat a really solid team to know that they could actually go really deep this season. And now that I saw it, I'm like, they could still be the normal, the Patriots are the old, their defense is still really good, Mac Jones, very, very efficient, especially as a rookie. Uh, Jacoby Myers, sadly, has still yet to haul in his first career touchdown, but New England Patriots have to be up. Team that I'm starting to sell has to be the Tennessee Titans. Now that Derrick Henry's out, that is going to fuck up everything for them. Their entire offense was predicated off of the fact that teams would stack the box against their run. And now that they can't do that, I think that that's going to downgrade Julio. That's going to downgrade A.J. Brown. That's going to downgrade Ryan Tannehill immensely. And their defense was already a, probably a top 
eight worst or bottom eight uh, unit in the entire league. So I think that this probably pulls them out of the playoff conversation altogether. I would obviously love to see some spectacular run where Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown go crazy together and A.J. Brown ends up being this insane top five receiver to end the year, which I definitely think is in the realm of possibility, but it's definitely not likely. And I think that as of right now, I would probably go back to picking the Colts as my pick for the winner of the division. My random new hot take. Okay, this one has a lot of caveats and a lot of weirdness to it, but I think that every team that wins their division at the end of the year will have the best quarterback within their division. So that means, and I know that that is pretty, oh, that's not that hot. The quarterback is the most important position in sports probably. I know that you could probably argue that that's going to probably happen every year, but it does not happen every year. And I think that stars are aligning that it could happen this year. I think that that would be Josh Allen with the Bills, Lamar Jackson with the Ravens, Dak Prescott with the Cowboys, Aaron Rodgers with the Packers, Tom Brady with the Buccaneers, and Matthew Stafford with the Rams. Those are pretty much all locks. And the other two that are pretty up in the air, I think that just because of his name, because of what he's able to do, because of this chip on their shoulder, I still think that Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to come out and win that division. Now that the Chargers just took that big L, the Chiefs are currently playing tonight against the Giants, and I think that that should be a very good win for them. A pretty handed win, in my opinion, especially with the Giants coming off of that 22-point win against the Panthers. They cannot ride that at all. They just do not have enough talent. And when it comes down to it, I think that Patrick Mahomes will have a very, very good game back in prime time. I'm praying. I think that if he has a bad game, this could be really time to worry. And all the stuff that I've been saying about him bouncing back and having this chip on his shoulder could all be kaflooey and all be completely wrong. But I still think that Patrick Mahomes has it in him to go out and win that division at the end of the season, be better than the Raiders, better than the Chargers, better than the Broncos, which is very possible. And the last one would be, I think that the Colts will end up winning their division, meaning that Carson Wentz is the best quarterback in his division, which I know that that might sound crazy. Ryan Tannehill coming off of the last two years being a top seven most efficient quarterback in the NFL, looking so great going to the AFC Conference Championship in the last two years, just looking like a quarterback that you would not put below a guy that last year was benched for Jalen Hurts and looked horrific. But I think that when the year is all said and done, with Derrick Henry being out now, with Carson Wentz being very, very efficient, back with Frank Reich, Michael Pittman looking like he's getting better every single week, I think that when we look back at the end of the year, we will say that Carson Wentz is the best quarterback in that division and the Colts will come out on top. Next, I have my three storylines from the week. I'm going to doing three instead of five. Number one, did the Rams just win the Super Bowl? I don't know what else to say, but this could be the final tip of the iceberg to knock them into the Super Bowl win. Not even just make the Super Bowl. This could be the Super Bowl win. I personally cannot think of a better trio on defense of all time. I'm a pretty big NFL historian, and when I really go back, I can't remember the last time that there has been a top 10 all-time edge rusher, a top 10 all-time D-lineman, and a top 10 all-time cornerback, all three on the same defense at the same time, all pretty much in their prime. I know for a fact that Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald are in their prime, and Aaron Donald, or I mean, and Von Miller, even when he's been playing, he's been incredibly productive, even with his age, even with the fact that he needs to get paid, even with his injury history, all of that aside, when he plays, he is very efficient. And I think that that is just going to be so scary for any offense to go up against. I don't know who you double team. I don't know how you double team. I think this is only going to allow for more sacks from Leonard Floyd, Sebastian Joseph Day. This will get an improvement for their safeties. And altogether, their defense has to be number one in the league now after that trade. 
So, so crazy. I also just want to say the Rams just seem like they never want to spend their picks. And if it, if it works, I think that this could be a big shift in the NFL where teams are now realizing the draft is not a surefire thing. And if there's seven rounds, maybe we can get our better guys late and we can get our superstars in a trade early, which is very, very possible. I don't know, this could be a formula that a lot of teams seem to follow for the next years to come because the Rams are doing very good with how they've been doing it in that they don't have first-round picks for the last five years, and now they don't have a first, second, or third this coming year. So just something to keep in the files to the side. Number two is the backup quarterback drama. Four backup quarterbacks went out and actually got wins this weekend. Two of them, I, I think that they're all there are three different categories of how they won. Cowboys and Saints, I think, are just a testament to how good they are, how good the Saints defense and the Cowboys defense actually really is, uh, how good that receiving core is, how good the running game is, and how good everything goes around and that even if Dak or Jameis Winston aren't able to play at their highest or play at all, their team still has the talent on it to go out and get it done. They still have the coaching that they are able to get it. I mean, The Saints with Sean Payton and what they have around Jameis is a little bit better than Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys, a little bit worse defense, especially they went up against the Vikings, which is a much easier opponent than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But those two wins are just a testament to how good they are. The Seahawks, I think they're just weird. They played the really shitty Jaguars. Geno now has, this is his second week under in a row that he's starting, so he's now starting to get used to it. DK had a really good game. Uh, Tyler Lockett had a really good game. Well, together, I think he's just clicking with a team, but that one I don't really want to say is a testament to how good they are because I still think that their defense is horrific, but we'll see. I think that the Seahawks was weird. And then the Jets, this is a different story. The Jets' backup quarterback isn't, m- might not be a backup anymore. I know that that's so weird to say, especially as me as a Jets fan has put so much faith into Zach Wilson, the number two pick who has so much high expectations, high aspirations, things like that, that I would assume that it should be Zach's job coming back. But we get to see Mike White next week on Thursday night football going up against the Indianapolis Colts who have a pretty banged up secondary and not a good one at that. So I think that if he can go out and get another win, Zach Wilson has not shown anything yet that he should definitively be the guy. The only thing that he has going for him is that he was the number two pick. The team is not good around him. But when a backup comes in and makes the team look so much better around him, that really raises some questions in your locker room. I think that the biggest thing that's leading me to say that Mike White might ultimately be the starter uh, is just how much warmth and like they love him. It seems like the whole team loves him. Ty Johnson in an interview was like, he's that fucking guy. He's that man. Robert Sala gave him the game ball and he led the chant. Zach Wilson nowhere to be seen in the Instagram video posted by the Jets. And it just makes me feel like this could honestly be Zach Wilson's job out the door, which honestly, as a Jets fan, I'm just looking for the quarterback of the future. So if it means that it's Mike White, then so be it. And I'll be happy if he's really good. I will obviously not be too happy if he's not and I will have wanted Zach Wilson to stay but if he seems like he's this guy and we can get a big haul back in return I think that right now he's his trade value is still definitely a first round pick Zach Wilson's is just because of his age and raw talent and what he was able to do against the Titans people could see those flashes and a team that is very quarterback needy in a non in a not so good quarterback class could end up just giving up a little bit too much to get Zach Wilson 
I will only be happy with that if Mike White does this again next week and the week after. I want to see at least a three-game sample size of him doing very good. But then again, I cannot dispute the, or I cannot argue the fact that Mike White just had a better game than Zach Wilson ever has by a landslide with the with an even worse supporting cast. Corey Davis wasn't in. Tevin Coleman wasn't in. It was a worse supporting cast, and he still got it done, which makes me think, could this be Mike White's job of the future? And then number three, I have five Super Bowl headlines that I think, uh, you guys have heard me say it before, I don't think that the NFL's rigged, but I think it's very storyline-driven, and things that will get them clicks and buzz end up happening just somehow, whether it's uh, I, like, I don't even know because I don't want to say that refs are changing the calls for him, but it just always seems like the best storyline could happen. That's why I threw money on the Gronkowski touchdown in the Super Bowl with Tom Brady last year. That's why I thought that it would be Patrick Mahomes for the next three years after he made his first AFC Conference Championship, and I was pretty right about that. So I think that these are the top five Super Bowl storylines that you could have going into this year. And if you don't hear your team, it means that I probably don't think that they are a top five lock to win the Super Bowl. So the five storylines are Aaron Rodgers does his last dance in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers goes on a tear, continues to be on the same tear. Their defense really steps it up in the playoffs. He has his classic Aaron Rodgers games and ends up winning it for them. Number two, Lamar finally gets over the hump. He's always been touted as so good, but he's been quote-unquote figured out. Like I said, in a, I think it was last episode or two episodes ago, I made that Giannis comparison, and Giannis won the finals this year. So I don't think that it, has, it is out of the realm of possibility for Lamar to do the same. Number three, Brady is still the GOAT. Brady goes in and wins his eighth Super Bowl, which is very, very possible. The Buccaneers look like they're equipped to do that this year. Brady's still the king of getting the ball to everyone on the team. This week especially just really shows that. But Tom Brady wins again is a storyline that could definitely happen. Matthew Stafford finally proves his doubters wrong and puts it all together after his insane, I think it's 12, 13-year tenure in the NFL, finally joins a new team and leads them all the way to a Super Bowl win. I think that that is so headline-driven, and that sounds like it could definitely happen. And then number five, which might be the craziest, Chiefs win the Super Bowl with a chip on their shoulder. I think that they could do some insane run out of the wild card where Patrick Mahomes goes back to do stifling defenses like he was his entire career before this year and goes on this monstrous, unreal run where he looks like that guy who is going to compete with Tom Brady for the next few years in the GOAT conversation, which I had thought going into this year before I saw all those interception numbers, I really had thought, This dude is going to be the closest thing to Tom Brady that we're going to get, at least in this decade. So I think that that storyline still could come to fruition and still continue on. I know that this does mean that I leave out Josh Allen and the Bills. This means I leave out Herbert, Burrow, uh, the Cardinals, which is so crazy. But I feel like those storylines just aren't so clicky, grabby, whatever. I... Just for some reason, feel like these are the five things that like will get the NFL the most buzz, will be the greatest in the history books, and when that is the case, I feel like one of these five things will end up happening. So that is my last thing. Now I'm going to go quickly with my next week predictions because I want to get into that NBA segment. Player to start this week, Austin Eckler against the Eagles. Uh, I told you guys to start DeAndre Swift last week and he didn't have an amazing game, but I don't think that they replicate that again. Eckler coming off of that horrible loss to the New England Patriots. I think that 
he comes out and really shines. Player to sit this week, A.J. Brown versus the Rams. Derrick Henry's first game out going up against Jalen Ramsey, an amazing defense. I would not start him if I were you. Group that will disappoint, Jags team as a whole versus the Bills, both on the offensive side and the defensive side. Bills have the advantage by a landslide, so I think that that one's definitely going to go to the Jags. And the group that will shine is, I think, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens against the Vikings. Coming off their bye, the week before their bye, they lost by 24. Vikings have been showing that they're very shaky, and now they have to go to Baltimore and wreak havoc, and I think that Lamar is going to go very, very crazy this week. Now, my three locks of the week. Just want to also mention I'm 20 and four, my only incorrect pick from last week. Sadly, I bet against my own team and I realized I should never do that, <laughs> even though they are the Jets and I probably should be betting against them. Uh, I was wrong that the Bengals would beat the Jets. So, right now, I am 20 and four on the season. An amazing record. I know my roommate likes to make fun of me that all the games that I choose are very big lines where it's a predicted win anyway. But I think that predicting 20 out of 24 games correctly is still an amazing accomplishment. So give credit to myself. Hopefully next week you guys hear that I am 23 and four. I have Bills beat the Jaguars, Chargers beat the Eagles, and Patriots beat the Panthers in three big shootouts this year. Alrighty, now I'm gonna hop right into the next section, which is my 2021-2022 NBA hot takes. I've got 20 spicy takes for you guys right here. And like I've always said, like I said about the NFL takes, this is not me trying to get all of them exactly right. It's things that aren't projected to happen, that if they do hit, I'm projecting that they have a really good chance of hitting. So if they do, then congrats to me. If they do not, then hopefully I will at least have been very close with my predictions. So I'm going to start it off right now with number one, no player that is currently 29 or older will win another MVP for the rest of their careers. I know that that one's crazy to hear because there's so many guys that are in that contention that are above 29, but I think that when you look at the class of below 29, not only do they not have the voter fatigue patched on in their name. I think that they're all in better situations and they're more equipped to win. So I'll give you guys just some names of the people above. Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard. Those guys are some examples of guys that I think will not win another MVP for as long as their careers go on. And then guys that I think are under that could are Giannis, Embiid, Jokic again, Trey, Luka, Zion, Devin Booker, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, just guys in those realms. My personal pick for MVP this year would probably have to still be Giannis Antetokounmpo going back to back. T- or no, no, no. Actually, no, he did not win most recently. So it would be three out of four years, which is still an instrumental feat and incredible for him to do. But right now, he is definitely my pick for MVP. And I think that no one 29 or older will win it for the rest of their careers. Number two, Timberwolves are a top six seed in the West. I know that that might sound very hot, but I think that if they can put it all together, their big three could be one of the best in the entire NBA. Carl Anthony Towns, I'm predicting a very big breakout season. I think Anthony Edwards will drop a very, very solid amount of points. I'm hoping for around 20 to 22 points per game from Anthony Edwards, and then I could easily see 18 and 8 from D'Angelo Russell, which would be Fantastic, not to mention that they have some really good bench guys, Nas Reed, Josh Okoji, Malik Beasley, guys like that, that I really think will end up getting it done. They're guys that showed it last year. They have that same improvement, and I think that the teams that are definitively better than them would probably be the Jazz, 
the Lakers, I'd probably say the Suns, I'd probably say the Mavericks, and then maybe the Warriors. Like, I don't even know who I'd put in there. And I think ultimately, the Timberwolves can honestly be better than all of those guys. I think the Jazz, the Lakers, the Suns do finish with a better record. But I think the Warriors, if Klay Thompson is out, there's a very good chance that they could still be better than the Warriors because Steph Curry cannot carry that load. And I think that they have a much better rest of the team for the Timberwolves. Better two, better th- like better second player, better third player, so on. The Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Michael Porter Jr. has not been looking good so far. I actually made this entire list before the NBA season had started, before for, and I had originally thought that Michael Porter Jr. was going to be like a 24-point-per-game type guy. He is not showing that as of right now after just getting paid. But even so, the Jamal Murray list nuggets I, I could easily see being better. Uh, the Kings are not better. The Trailblazers are not better. The Grizzlies are not better. The Spurs are not better. The Quilas Clippers are probably not better. Rockets are not better. Thunder are not better. And Pelicans are not better. I could honestly even slide this up to them being the fifth seed or higher. I'm going to keep it to sixth seed because I still think that that's very hot and not even make the play in. They get an automatic playoff spot, but I'm really high on the Timberwolves this year. Next, the Knicks will finish with a better record than both the 76ers and the Celtics. I think that it is another situation of the roster around them. Injuries happen so often in the NBA, and I think that the New York Knicks are the deepest team in the NBA. I know that I'm a New York Knicks fan, so I might have some bias in that, but I had a take earlier that I think the Knicks bench, all the Knicks backups, could not, if they were their own team of just the Knicks backups, they would not be the worst team in the NBA. They would actually probably be like the fourth or fifth worst team in the NBA, which is crazy to say that an entire line of backups are better than some of the entire starting lines. But with all of the, there's so many guys that any given night could drop 25 to 30 points that I really do feel like the Knicks will have a higher ceiling than two teams where they can only, the 76ers need Joel to have an amazing game every single night and Tobias Harris to at least be very solid alongside him, especially while they don't have Ben Simmons and they don't have any trade compensation back in return. And then with the Celtics, it seems like their roster is so, so thin that they need a 20 to 30 point game out of Jalen and Tatum both every single night for them to even be in contention for the win. So I think ultimately Knicks finishing with a better record than the Sixers and Celtics. Book it. Number four, this one's kind of long, but I think De'Aaron Fox, Ben Simmons, CJ McCollum, Nikola Vucevic, Chris Middleton, Mike Conley all do not make the all-star team. These are guys that have either made it in the past or have aspirations to make it this year. I think the hottest one's probably De'Aaron Fox, a guy that a lot of people think is going to take a jump with the Kings, but I think the Kings' dysfunction around him, even though Harrison Barnes has been playing very well as of late, Davion Mitchell has been very, very good, has been very solid. But I just do not think De'Aaron Fox is going to be able to get it done. Ben Simmons not playing. McCollum, the the Trailblazers are not good enough, and he was clearly taking a step back in the playoffs last year. Vucevic, there's just too many mouths to feed on that Bulls team. Chris Middleton, I think that Giannis continues to shine, and just he ends up falling into obscurity. Not that he'll be bad, but just not a top 26 player in the NBA. And then Mike Conley, even though the Jazz will be very solid and he will be very good on the defensive end and playmaking side, he won't put up the stats necessary for him him to actually make the all-star team and then on the flip side some guys that people think might not or might whatever I think Bam Adebayo, Shai Gilgis Alexander, DeAndre Ayton, LaMelo Ball, Trey Young, Julius Randle, and Rudy Gobert all do make the all-star team this year I think Bam is primed for an amazing season Heat look fantastic defensively especially he has such a big load on the big man's side because they don't have a really another big big that 
would help him on that side. So they're asking a lot out of him, and I think that he's going to prove for sure that he's that guy. Shy, I love him this season on the Thunder. He's really the only guy that's going to be dropping buckets, so I'm excited for that. Aiton, I think in a contract year where he's trying to show himself, the Suns are still so talented. They're the same team that made it to the finals last year. I think Aiton puts it all together this year and has his first all-star appearance. LaMelo coming up in his sophomore year. He's so fun, so exciting, and so much of it is based on audience liking. And LaMelo, I'd say, is already a top five most liked player in the NBA just in how people watch him and how exciting he is. So I think LaMelo will get up there. Trey Young, I think, will definitely do it, especially after he did what he did in the playoffs last year. The Hawks are a very good team around him. They have the pieces necessary for them to actually do do really well and go really far. And I think Trey Young fits in that fits that puzzle piece really well. I think that the current foul rules are definitely not helping him, but I think that he's a good enough basketball player altogether that he'll adjust to that and continue to shoot more threes. Hopefully he becomes more efficient on the three ball just in general, not only from deep, but like deep, deep, but just from the three ball in general. Julius Randle really still seems like that guy in New York, and he's going to be dropping 20 to 25 points every single night as long as he has the ball in his hands. He's an ISO 4, and he will be getting those touches that is necessary to make the All-Star game. And then Rudy Gobert, I think that what he brings on the defensive side, what he brings in the rebounding numbers, even if his points don't show it, just what he is able to do, and the fact that the Jazz, I think, will be very, very good in the regular season puts him in the All-Star team as well. Number six, Josh Giddy takes home Rookie of the Year. I know that's so crazy to say. Jalen Green is there. Cade Cunningham's there. Evan Mobley looks great. Scotty Barnes looks great. All these guys. But I think Josh Giddy of the Oklahoma City Thunder, his ability to do everything on the floor, to score points, to get rebounds, to play make, to defend, everything on the floor, he seems like he's at least solid at it and getting better every single game as the games go on. Shy is a great accompaniment to him. And I think that them two will work very, very well together. And the Thunder could be a team to contend with for years and years to come, especially if Giddy takes this home. I think that he's already fitting really, really well into the NBA system. Uh, he needs to improve his shooting a little bit, but I think his playmaking is second to none at the in the rookies. Cade has not looked so great in his first NBA start. Not that I think that he's going to stay that way whatsoever, and he'll still definitely get the most minutes, most touches out of all the rookies, but I think Giddy, what he's going to be able to do with his more limited sample size and probably better stats, in my opinion, in the, in the other things. I still think Cade and Jalen Green will probably average more points than Josh Giddy, but I think Josh Giddy, what he's going to provide all around in the league, will let him take home Rookie of the Year. Number seven, I have the Utah Jazz have the best record in the regular season. That's out of all of the teams. Better than Lakers, Nets, Bucks, all of that. I just think that they have a very put-together roster. Fantastic defensively. Donovan Mitchell continues to take big jumps this year. Rudy Gobert is the same defensive mastermind that we always knew. Uh, they really took improvements on the bench, in my opinion, getting Hassan Whiteside and Rudy Gay in the offseason. Two guys that will at least be solid veteran contributors, especially when come playoff time. And they still have Jingle and Joe Ingles can knock down any bucket. Jordan Clarkson can knock down any bucket. Donovan Mitchell can knock down any bucket. I really think that they are going to be a team to beat in the regular season. Come playoff time, I think that it might be more star-driven, and it might end up being the Lakers or the Suns or a team like that that ends up beating them to go to the NBA Finals. But I think the Utah Jazz definitely have a really good regular season and have the best record. 
Number eight, I have Draymond Green finishes top three in voting for Defensive Player of the Year. I actually didn't even realize that he was last year, and I thought that this was going to be a lot hotter than it was. It now turns out that he actually was last year, but I think that especially with the absence of Klay Thompson and what he's being asked to do on the defensive side of the ball for the entire Warriors, like it's so much of the defense runs through him and his spacing and his ability to get steals and blocks both. He had an unreal stat line last night, and I think that he really solidifies himself back into that elite, elite defense category people for the last three years have been discrediting Draymond saying that he's getting worse by the year saying that they should get rid of him because he's on too big of a contract but I personally think that he is a great defender and he is going to show that this season Number nine, I think Paul George averages his career high in points. I know that's crazy that's more than any of the pacers, more than any of the thunder, more than any on any other team. It's now his show. He really seems like Reggie Jackson will get the ball to him, and it really just seems like the entire offense will be run around him. Regardless of whether they get wins from it or not, it seems like he will be the primary ball handler as long as Kawhi is gone. He will always have the ball in his hands, and I think that that will lead to 28, 29, 30 points per game possibly for Paul George on the LA Clippers this year. Number 10, I have got the Wizards make it out of the play-in and are a top 8 seed in the playoffs. And then a secondary, this is 11 to go along with it, they are primed to now get a star in a trade at the deadline or in the offseason. I think that the Wizards are looking spectacular. I've been so high on them, and it really sucks that I had to put this out a week into the season when now the Wizards are actually doing pretty well and looking like they are a team to beat. Now everybody's hopping on this bandwagon, but I've been a fan of them ever since they made that Russell Westbrook deal. I think that that was really, really good. They have a lot of super solid, solid players to go alongside with one superstar and young guys on the bench that can still develop. Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma are three guys that I think will really contribute to wins and just contribute to good basketball altogether. Bradley Beal will still easily put up 28 or more points per game this season for the Washington Wizards. And then on the bench, Corey Kispert, Denny of Deha, Daniel Gafford, a lot of guys that I really love on their bench as well. And I think that if they continue to progress these players, not only could they do solid in the regular season, but I think that they could edge out a couple wins in the play-in. And not that they would win a first-round series, but they will at least be a team to be very competitive and show that they are here to stay for sure. Number 12, this is Zion's last year as a Pelican. Now, I know that that might sound like the hottest take of them all, because how is a dude that's so young and only played so little amount of games already going to be requesting a trade? I just think that he'll be disgruntled, and I think that that might ultimately lead the Pelicans to trading him, or he could be the first player in the player empowerment era to actually step up and go, I am this talent. I am a top 15 NBA talent right now. At my age, a team that is primed to win should want me, and the New Orleans Pelicans are not that right now. Brandon Ingram really seems like to be productive. He needs to be the primary ball handler on a team, which he will not be with Zion there. They lost Lonzo Ball. I feel like they ultimately just got worse as a team, and even though Zion has not played yet, I think that he will come in, play outrageous and they will not get the wins to back it up and even last year there were a little bit of talks I remember in the press conference he was talking about how much he loved MSG and how he wished to play here one day and just so many little things that it really seems like the Pelicans are walking on thin ice with Zion and I think that if he has an amazing win or amazing season with the wins not backing that up then he could definitely ask for his way out or at least be verbally upset to the point that they either need to make some really serious changes or he needs to go. 
Number 13, LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, and Gordon Hayward all combined for 55 points per game when healthy. I could honestly bump this one up to 60. I was just staying a little bit conservative, but I think that those three will be spectacular when all three are healthy together. They're pure scorers. LaMelo's ability to get the ball to other people and his three-point shot will definitely average him over 20 points per game. Terry Rozier, what we saw out of him last year while Gordon Hayward was out, he had his career year. Very, very underrated player in the NBA, and I'm hoping that he can get healthy again soon. And then Gordon Hayward, for the time being last year, he probably had one of his best games of his career too. I mean, uh, or best seasons of his career. I mean, I probably would honestly say Utah, uh, Gordon Hayward was probably a little bit better. He's definitely playing better last year before his injury than he was on the Celtics at any point. So I think that if he can come back and get back to that same form that he was last year, he could be an easy 22-point-per-game scorer who's very lethal on the three-point side. And I think that those three together could end up leading the Hornets to something really, really good, whether it's now, whether it's in the future. I know that people are a little bit hesitant with Gordon Hayward's contract being $30 million for what he's providing, but I think that as long as he's there, they will get really, really solid basketball out of him. He'll put the ball in the basket, and that's all they need him to do, so I'm really excited to see those three in action. Very, very fun team. I'm hoping that the wins correspond with those points and their big men can really step it up. It seems like Miles Bridges is having one of his career season, it, his breakout season this year so far. So if Miles Bridges can put it all together too, I could see them being a top eight seed at lowest. I could see them doing really, really well. I'm excited for LaMelo in his second year. Number 13, Orlando Magic have 15 or less wins, making them the worst team in the league. This one I had also written before the season. It seems like they will have a little bit more than 15, but I could definitely still be see them being the worst team in the NBA. Mo Bamba, Markel Fultz, ugh, Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, so many guys all around there. Franz, Franz Wagner, the rookie, is looking really good. So maybe 15 wins is a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but... I do think that they will be the worst team in the NBA and will be a very, very bad team that we look back and say, ew, what the fuck were these Orlando Magic? Number 14, I've got Colin Sexton is traded by next offseason. I could honestly see this being at the trade deadline, but I think that they really like Darius Garland, and what it seems like they're doing with Big Ball is that their primary focus is now on their front court, not on their back court anymore, and Sexton might have to be broken up. They will need to pay Sexton very soon and I don't know if they want to do that so while they can still get something out of him in return another young guy another three-point scorer to come off the bench and some picks or something like that that I really think that they might end up doing just to have a more secure future they still have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley looking like a really really solid front court and Darius Garland will probably be the primary ball handler playing that one he didn't really work as the two Sexton didn't really work as the two either so I could see him being gone very very soon Number 16, Heat make the conference finals, and 17 to go along with it. Kyle Lowry is the big X factor in the playoffs. I'm so excited for what this Heat team is able to do. In my personal opinion, the lineup of Kyle Lowry at the 1, Victor Oladipo at the 2, Jimmy Butler at the 3, P.J. Tucker at the 4, and Bam Adebayo at the 5 is not only the best defensive lineup that somebody that a team can run in the NBA right now, it's one of the best that we've seen in years. I think all five of those players are top 10 at defending at their position, I would have to argue. Maybe Victor Oladipo, you can make a good argument against it, but P.J. Tucker looked fantastic in the playoffs last year. Bam has obviously been taking huge strides. Kyle Lowry, in my opinion, one of the most underrated players. And I think that when it really comes down to it in those playoffs, I know that they've already made it before, 
they've already made the finals in the bubble, but it will be Kyle Lowry's team now. He will get to run the show, and even though Jimmy Butler will probably be the highest scorer on the team, Lowry will be the facilitator and help so much on the defensive end that they could really edge out a win over the Brooklyn Nets, over the Milwaukee Bucks, and end up going to the finals. I'm not saying that. I think that they will just make the conference finals because ultimately when it does come down to it, Giannis is a little bit too big and Durant's a little bit too good of a scorer that I would probably have to put my money on the other two. But I think the Heat make a really good case to at least be the third team in in their conference and look very, very good doing it. Kyle Lowry expecting a very good season and expecting a very, very good playoff run. Number 18, I have John Collins finishes fourth or worse in scoring on the Hawks. I don't know who it would be. I think number one is a lock for Trey Young, but then I think that there is a good pool of guys that could end up being the next scorer on the Hawks that is not him. The biggest contenders for this would probably be Cam Reddish, Bojan Bogdanovic, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Onyeka Okongwu, Clint Capella, a lot of guys that I think will take big steps this year, and then John Collins, who I think doesn't provide much to his game other than his dunking ability and his ability under the rim, I think that he will take a little bit of a step down and not be a top three scorer on the Hawks. I know that sounds crazy to hear, but especially in the playoffs last year, he was not, so I think they could continue with that trend, and he will see a very big downtick this coming year. Even though the Hawks might still be a very good team, I just think that John Collins himself will take a little bit of a step back. Number 19, Lakers are a top five worst defensive team in the NBA. The only one that I really see on that team taking big steps up defensively is obviously Anthony Davis, but LeBron James is getting old. He can't play that same physical style of defense, especially now that refs are swallowing their whistles and not making calls that they usually would in the past. I think that it's a lot harder for LeBron Uh, in this physical NBA to defend with the best of them. Uh, The rest of their roster is still definitely lacking at that. Russell Westbrook has been very inefficient on offense and has been inefficient on defense as well. And I think that to ask him to guard some of these incredible ones is going to be a little bit too hard of a task for him to do just at least consistently for the entire night. He'll definitely put in some effort and some grit and get a couple steals here and there, but I think when it comes down to actually like locking the team down and not scoring a lot of points, I think the Lakers will probably be top five worst in points allowed per game just because they'll either be so efficient on offense and give up so many other points on the other way around, or they are just not going to be able to get it done, period. And then number 20, this is another one. Raptors are 11 seed or lower. This is with Pascal Siakam being out. Fred Van Vliet is not going to be enough to get it done, even though it looks like Scotty Barnes is taking big steps, Chris Boucher, OG Ananobi. Guys like that are definitely getting it done, but I think that when it all comes to it, the their conference is just, the West is too hard. There are too many teams that are going to be a little bit one step ahead. I think the Pacers will probably be better. Knicks, definitely. Celtics, definitely. Sixers, definitely. Bucks, definitely. Heat, definitely. Nets, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of others that could be in that section, but I think that just ultimately the Raptors just don't get it done and they don't have enough firepower, which is so weird. Just literally three years ago, they were coming off of their big finals win and now they are looking not too good. All right. And that is all that I have for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for watching. I hope that I get as many of those NBA takes correct as I possibly can. It's a lot smaller of a league. So like just less players, less teams than the NFL. So I think that this one might be a little bit easier to hit on than the NFL one was for me because the NFL has so much more possibility and so much more any given Sunday-ness. But either way, 
Had a lot of fun making that list. Had a lot of fun doing my weekly roundup like I do every single week. Uh, Jets play on Thursday night football. Mike White under the lights. I'm so excited to watch that. I hope that you guys have a fantastic day, fantastic week, and you guys listen up next week. Have a great one. Peace.